everybody. Welcome back to 28 Days Later. Uh, I'm your host, Sophie, joined as always by my beautiful, indescribable co-host and younger sister, Hannah. I could have done that way better. <gasps> no, I thought that was your best one yet, actually. You have, so um, for people who are, for those of you just tuning in, which is everyone except Hannah and I, um, this is like our We've seventh attempt to recording. This is our <laughs> fifth or sixth attempt to record this episode uh, over the course of a couple days. We've been struggling and circumstances have not been in our favor. But, um, but Hannah, I wanted you to know that I was actually going to comment that was one of your better ones because when we tried to do that at Halloween, when we both dressed up as characters from this movie, um, I don't mean to brag, but I think I really nailed the weird breathing and I kept trying to teach it to you and you have this really endearing way of like, you would inhale before you exhaled and then inhale again. <laughs> like you you did this really cute preparatory like, <gasps> like <laughs> yeah. so, so that was like spot on. Well done. Uh, so I'd say so right how now have I'm you probably been? like 50-50 on how many I like because I definitely practiced and there are definitely a lot where I'm like there's not supposed to be three breaths it's only two yeah it's just breathe exhale really hard and then inhale quickly like <gasps> kind of like how I can't um, whisper yes uh, either I yes, can't really you, hear it with the breath like I just can't it's like in my head Hannah kind of like, thinks that she's whispering right now <laughs> 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 basically <laughs> so Hannah how have you been since we last recorded um well that depends do you mean since we last recorded for midsummer or do you mean <laughs> since, since our last listeners last heard last from you how are you feeling <laughs> since the listeners last heard from you um well I'll tell you um I decided as part of this, because you're always making me look bad with your extra credit work, I watched um, Ari Aster's first film, which is a a 30-minute short film. Cool. I cannot wait to hear about that. uh, It's called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, and Mm -hmm. I watched it like three days ago, and since then I have felt grimy and uncomfortable <laughs> oh gosh okay well like, I can't it's wait been to, popping to... popping in and out of my head at very random times of the day and every time I think about it I'm just like <laughs> yikes okay fun <laughs> um well it's officially February so mm-hmm. did you go to brunch or anything this weekend because your no drinking January is over now yeah so um that did and although I also started kind of late, so um, I'm still I still haven't really like celebrated the end of that. I've still been keeping relatively sober. Um, but I did go to brunch on Saturday, and I went to a uh, all vegetarian and somewhat vegan diner in Chicago for the first time in like months, which was a lot for me because before that I was going like once or twice um, a weekend. But it was nice because the bartender, I sat at the bar because it was really crowded and um, the bartender still remembered me and she remembered like my coffee order. And she was like, Bloody Mary. Nice. And I was like, oh no, not not today. <laughs> 
But yeah, it was like very a very Cheers esque moment, which was nice. Yeah, that's awesome. How about you? Did you? Um, I did not go to brunch, um, though. Uh, as people who have listened may be picking up on after a couple of weeks, uh, I live in Kansas City, Missouri, and if you know anything about uh, football, which I don't, but I did know this, um, we won the Super Bowl. Um, I'm not a football fan at all. <laughs> I am actually pretty um, anti-football and anti-NFL in particular. Um, so to be totally honest, I don't care a ton. I love so very much that the people in Kansas City, which is a city that I now love a lot, are happy. Um, But that's sort of the extent of my enthusiasm. But Jeremy and I did go over to a friend's house for a Super Bowl party on Sunday, um, which was really awesome and and sort of nice to get to to spend time with people and and sort of drink. We we drank KCT, which um, people may or may not know. The rapper Tech 9 is from Kansas City, Missouri, and very proudly (laughs) so. Um, He invented a beverage, which... Yes, but she's from Kansas City, Kansas, so... Oh. We'll we'll forgive her, but she's from Kansas. Like, we love Janelle Monae, but we just wish she was from Missouri. Um, Anyway, Tech 9 has a cocktail that he sings about in one of his songs that he calls KCT, which is basically um, Hennessy, Sprite, and lemon juice, and it just tastes like drinking sweet tea with lemon in it but it's um super alcoholic so we had a couple Mm -hmm. of those to celebrate for uh the super bowl did you play some tech nine also like to celebrate oh we played so much tech nine because he actually has a song called red kingdom about the chiefs so we played that at the end of the game and then a dear friend of mine who you know cat um texted me the following day to ask if I would make her a playlist because she feels like she should listen to more Tech Nine since she lives <laughs> in Kansas City. So I also made a introductory Tech Nine playlist of about ten ten songs. So, so it was um, a it was a very a victory for Kansas City and a victory for Tech Nine. Yeah, and a victory for me to be honest. Um <laughs> Yeah, so that's been kind of cool, and then the th- we're recording later in the week than we usually do. This is a little peek behind the curtain, and so because of that, um, we usually record early in the week, and the Chiefs Parade, Victory Parade, was yesterday, and Jeremy and I live right downtown, so his parents came up. Um, I did not really go to the parade. I had to go for a run, so I did go for a run at the same time that the parade was happening and run sort of parallel to it and got to see parts of it. Um, but Kansas City was did you see the police insane chase? yesterday. I didn't. I heard about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I, I heard about those shenanigans. I did, <laughs> though, on my walk to work today, see so much confetti all over the ground from that's still kind of, like, blown around from the parade. So that's kind of Kansas fun. City is in very good spirits. Yeah, so that was that was nice. It, it's, it was cool to kind of see, even though I'm not super um, into football and since I – sort of actively don't love the NFL. It was cool because I like I like other sports. I love other sports a lot, so I can imagine how awesome that would feel. So it was fun to get to see everyone sort of just be really happy and excited. It sounds so natural when you say that, Sophie. <laughs> well, I just I kept like imagining sports. if it was like a sporting <laughs> parade. Like, if, it, if that was a sporting parade, I would have been losing my damn mind. So I just kept being like, I'm happy that someone else is having this. If it was you a know? sporting parade... You got. You may have been losing your mind, but everyone else would be sleeping. Boo, 
this uh, <laughs> this feud's going to come up a lot on the podcast in coming weeks because soccer season is about to start back up, Hannah. Mm, Does that mean when we do this little rundown of like what's been going on, I'm going to have to hear about soccer a lot? I mean, you damn well might. I'm currently missing the kit release season kickoff party tonight so that we can podcast. So I don't know. Could have had my arm like around Johnny Russell two years that. in a row. <laughs> what? Is that I'm not really sure say? what most of those words mean, but okay. A kit is like their uniform because I don't, you're up. It's okay. You don't have to explain it to me. <laughs> I feel like the only word in that sentence that should have been confusing to you was kit. The other stuff I said yeah. was season kickoff party. <laughs> um, I mean, I I felt like the you were just talking about the season ending like a month ago. Oh my gosh, it has been so much longer than that. But let's not believe at the point soccer is great, and that's the official stance of this podcast. So anyway, um, <laughs> Hannah, before before we go into our review for this week, hey, I wait, did you really didn't quickly let me talk just about want to give a shout Super out. Bowl experience. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to talk about your Super Bowl experience, Hannah? Um, well, as you know from when we tried to record this podcast earlier, my Super Bowl experience is that I slept through it. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much <laughs> the end of the story. <laughs> I took awesome. I ate awesome, half awesome. an edible and I fell asleep. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, I did really quickly want to give a, a quick shout out. If you are not currently following us on Twitter, you should be. We are on Twitter at 28dayslady-er. Um, and this week we tweeted such beautiful gems as Hannah's school picture that we talked about several episodes ago, um, where she has a myriad <laughs> of ponytails all over her head. Um, and Hannah, a couple listeners uh, joined in the fun one of them uh, pledged to do the, recreate this with his daughters. I wonder how that makes you feel. That was truly an honor when you said that to me. <laughs> like, nearly brought tears to my eyes. Well, I'm so glad. I'm glad that made you so happy. It, it really <laughs> made my day as well. Um, so... Without further ado, we have so much to pick apart in our in our conversation for the movie this week. Midsummer, midsummer. Although I've heard that Ari Aster says it's supposed to be pronounced Midsomar, which, like, that's hard for me. So we're just gonna go with Midsummer because um, mm-hmm. we're buttheads. Um, so Midsummer is call it last Ari Aster. Just because you're gonna call it what? Last winter. <laughs> great. Okay. Great. Um, so last winter, no. So Midsummer is the second um, feature film of Ari Aster. Hannah already alluded to watching his first film, which is a short that I've not seen. Um, but folks listening to the show may know his first theatrical release was a movie called Hereditary that came out uh, in 2018, I believe, um, starring Tony Collette, which was highly lauded at the time that it came out. Um, so this is his second movie. It came out in 2019. It sort of follows this uh, woman, young woman named Danny. She has a sister who suffers from borderline personality disorder. And um, Danny, it seems, is maybe the older sister and has fallen into the, this role of needing to be very supportive and attentive and available for her sister. When the movie starts, 
um, we find out that she got sort of an ominous email from her sister and has not been able to get a hold of anyone in her family. And then we learn that her sister has committed suicide and in the process murdered their parents. And so now Danny is alone. Um, Danny has a boyfriend named Christian who is sort of the poster boy for being the worst. Um, <laughs> But, like, in a passive-aggressive way. I think it's interesting, and we can yeah, get I mean, into this later. Yeah, I mean, he's introduced even then I, as just being, like, basically, like, one foot out the door. Yes. Um, but I think it's really interesting the way that his character is portrayed and and characterized throughout the movie, so we can get into that. He's not, like, a cartoonishly bad guy. He's sort of a bad boyfriend in a way where I think there are probably people who argue he's not like he's a nice guy like I think it's interesting because I think mm-hmm. it opens the door for that kind of debate um, so she is obviously um, devastated and grieving and then we sort of jump forward several months we assume because it was winter when um, her sister and parents died and now it is um, spring and summer and so she is at a party with her boyfriend Christian and several of his friends they're all in um, graduate school it's unclear if they're doing their masters or their PhD um, But they're all in graduate school, and uh, she finds out that Christian and his friends are going to Sweden with a friend of theirs, Pele, who who grew up on a commune, um, and they're going to go with him for a couple of weeks for the midsummer um, celebration in his his home. and she go, she decides to go along. And so that's sort of the jumping off point for the movie. And then most of the movie takes place in Haiga, which is the, the village or commune where Pele um, takes them. And things sort of get increasingly tense and stressful from there. But Hannah, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can just, as a quick rundown, give us an idea of um, what... We'd love to hear about the short film that you watched uh, in whatever way you'd like to talk about it. And then tell me sort of what you thought of Hereditary and then give me just a brief overview of what you thought of Midsummer. Yeah. So um, one thing I guess um, that all three movies have in common is that they do they deal with like super fucked up families. Um, and there's also like a, a some. Um, interaction with loss of a family member in all three um Mm -hmm. so the his short film um well so like one thing that was that really was creepy about it was like i was reading about midsummer and about ari aster when i was re-watching it for this Mm -hmm. and that's when i like like heard about the or first um learned of his short film so then I found it online and I decided to watch it like after I watched this and um there was there's a part in it where the family in his short film it's a father father mother and son and um there's a scene when the mom is sort of like hum singing to herself and it's the same song that Danny hallucinates her sister singing when she starts tripping on mushrooms when they first get to the commune. Oh, weird. Yeah, so that was also really freaky, especially because I had I was watching it right after I watched Midsummer, so I was like, ah. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, um, the short film it was his thesis film uh, when he was at the American Film Institute, um, which made it all the more shocking because so basically like I guess I won't go into too much about it 
although this literally is the like the description of it if you if you google it like the um the description of the film is the story of a family where the father and son are engaged in in an abusive incestuous relationship Mm, um mm. and that they get like right into that right away um so it's sort of interesting the like when i read that i assumed that it would mean more so that like the father was like the aggressor but it's actually the other way around so it's like the son is sexually abusing his father um and basically ari aster said that he was like out with some friends and other students of AFI and they were just talking about like things that are taboo or like things that you'd never be able to make a film about and things you'd never make a film about, especially at AFI. And um, something that they landed on was like not just an incestuous relationship, but an incestuous relationship where the child is the perpetrator or like, you know, main party who's uh continuing it so when they were talking about that he was like well i'm gonna do it (laughs) Um, interesting that's super interesting yeah um and so i mean honestly like i watched it and i really don't know how i feel about it it's pretty it's a lot (laughs) yeah Um, i I, just from your description i feel like i don't ever need or want to see it (laughs) yeah um, and I, and I, I mean, I do think like considering um, what it's about, like that he actually does like a, like a pretty okay job with it. And like, um, I think you could say that all of his movies are gratuitous in some way or at certain times. Um, mm-hmm. but I think, or personally I have found in all three, um, that it like, that he I guess, like, rides that line well. Um, so it's not... Mm-hmm. It doesn't always, It doesn't feel like I'm like, oh, God, this is too much, or this is, like... I don't know. It kind of works in the genre. Yeah. Um, I would say that for I me... I say the short I, I, I don't know if you'd agree. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you'd agree with this. I feel like, at least in Hereditary and Midsummer, for me, it feels less like anything he's doing is gratuitous. It's more that it's very unflinching. Mm. Like at least that's my read. It like at least even in when they like, and even when they like smash that dude's skull in, and then they like show it again, <laughs> like a couple different times. Sometimes yeah, that's they just interesting. Like, okay, well, toss it in. <laughs> yeah. No, we'll we'll get into that. Clip. Okay. So, really quickly, yeah. um I should say that my experience um before seeing Midsummer and then rewatching it for the podcast is I saw Hereditary when that was in theaters. Um I saw it really early after it was released, so for those of you who have seen it, um you know that there's like a pretty big twist that happens early on. And when mm-hmm. I say twist, it's not necessarily a plot twist so much as it is a twist. They really take what you are expecting based on the marketing and turn it upside down in a way yes. that is very um, shocking to watch. And so 
I I saw it early enough that I didn't have the chance to have that spoiled or to even be expecting that something like that was going to happen. And I remember yeah. in the moments after that that sort of shift happens in the theater, just kind of, I think like the whole theater was kind of in shock. It's something that is not really done, um, at least to me, not effectively in a lot of movies, to, to sort of just... People complain all the time, right, about things being marketed a certain way and then not living up to the expectation. And this was able to do something totally weird and different and completely throw you off your balance in a way that I really liked. I thought Hereditary was great. I feel like my one complaint about Hereditary was that the last five to ten minutes for me didn't work. Um, Hmm. The last, the beginning of that movie, the most of that movie for me, the reason I like it so much is that it's this weird a lot of the stuff that's going on is kind of ambiguous. And then even when there is supernatural stuff going on, um, it all feels very grounded in a world that is recognizable to us. And then Mm -hmm. in the end, they're sort of like, and it's a cult and everyone's naked and people can fly. And like, and I think it, you get the sense in that scene. I think that like, there was a lot of visual stuff that Ari Aster was interested in that he wanted to do um, as far as like the sort of, way that that last sequence in the treehouse is shot that to me felt um, unnecessary in that movie and really like took me out of the film. And so it's interesting then to see Midsummer because it feels like he gets to do all a lot of the visual stuff that I that I didn't have a problem with on its face. I just thought thematically it didn't work for me in Hereditary. It works perfectly in Midsummer when you're setting your movie like in a cult. Um, mm-hmm. And so this to me felt like I remember seeing this movie and turning to Jeremy and being like, Oh, this is what he wanted to do. And it felt like he like kind of jammed it into hereditary because he was like, I don't know if I'm going to get another movie. Let's just put everything into this one package. And Mm -hmm. then hereditary did well. And he thought, okay, now I can expand it. Now. I don't know if that is, was his thought process, but it definitely felt that way to me. Um, But I think midsummer is a phenomenal horror film. Um, so we should get into it because there is so much to unpack here. And we should say say off the bat, we we talked about this in our previous iteration of this recording that did not work. Um, but Hannah and I dress up as characters from this movie for Halloween this year <laughs> along with my boyfriend. So um, I was Danny and my boyfriend was Christian in the bear suit. Uh, although poor, poor Jeremy thought he was just the bear. Um, mm-hmm. until the morning we were get, all getting in our costumes, and then he was so devastated to learn that he was actually the shitty boyfriend in the costume. Um, <laughs> and Hannah, who were you? I was Maya. <laughs> pubes and all. I mean, she kept her pubes to herself, but... You don't know that. <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> And I had a tiny ring, a tiny pie on a ring. Yes, it was amazing. We dressed up for a uh, triple feature of John Carpenter movies uh, here in Kansas City, and it was really fun. Um, the people leading the screening made us come up on stage because I think we were the only people in costumes, um, but our costumes were very on point. So um, It should be mentioned that afterwards when we left the, the John Carpenter Festival, we went to a bar where there was um, another person... Who, so you were you were mostly like just like Danny during the final dance, but later on we ran into another person who right. was dressed um, dressed as 
Danny in like the full flower suit. And then there was also another girl who we thought was um, also just like a person from the cult. And she was like, no, I'm just a gypsy. <laughs> yeah, that was uncomfortable. And we were like, so we, were like uh, we hate to tell you this, but that is, yeah, that's like a yeah. really not okay slur. And also just um, probably just don't. I mean, don't. Well, yeah, we were both like, um, uh, I don't really think you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. Um, so, Hannah, why don't you tell us why you thought Midsummer would be a good movie for us to talk about? Let's jump into this. Uh, well, so I love Hereditary. Um, it's interesting that you don't that you kind of like um, Hereditary fell apart uh, toward the end because I actually loved that that part of it, and I loved the flying. I thought the flying was so scary. Um, when Tony Collette was just like on. I mean, like in, I I was okay. I love Tony Collette hovering. All of that was great. Yes. Um, and all the naked old people in the background in that movie too. I'm always looking for things happening in the background and like random naked people now from watching that movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. like Midsummer, I think <laughs> in particular is sort of good. What would be good for our podcast because of how much how much of it is like focused in particular like on the character of Danny and how she is like a woman in a group of like traveling with a group of men um after yep. having experienced like this like next level trauma that is so horrifying and how it's like none of the men for the most part like none of the men in the group care and don't really have any time for it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and like they seem like annoyed by her grief a lot of the time um probably because they were like annoyed by her beforehand because of her relationship with christian um but also i just think like the dynamics of how the men in the group deal with her and like a lot of time they talk about her or respond to her as if she's not there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, right in front of her. They do so many things that are, like, so overtly dismissive towards her um, right in front of her. Yeah. And I think that uh, there's something about, like, that dynamic that kind of makes it even more upsetting um, once thing once things like turn into a more actual horror movie because you're like you're just like uh oh because she's also in this like sort of scary place but also with a bunch of dudes who are like not listening to her and not right uh <laughs> like not responding to anything in like a yeah uh in a expected way um and they're but, clearly not that concerned with her well-being or her feelings from the beginning. So we yeah. know that when stuff starts to go bad, they're not <clears throat> going to be attentive to her. Right. And like and things go bad so like pretty much immediately cuz like right when they get there, everyone's going to do mushrooms. And mm-hmm. like for me personally, like I've had some experiences with mushrooms and um like I would never, ever, ever be in a situation with someone who had just had such a major loss and be like, this is a great time for you to do mushrooms. 
Yeah, someone who has just had such a major loss and is, and you're all jet lagged and you're in an unfamiliar place with strangers. I mean, all of that is, yes. is really rough. But, and she even but, says, like, I'm going to wait and see. Like, I want to get my bearings before I decide if I want to do any kind of drugs. And uh-huh. then everyone is like, ugh. Well, that's that's not exactly what happens, actually. Because, I well, I think what happens is actually much more insidious, which is that Christian says... Her boyfriend says, okay, that's fine. If you don't take them, I won't take them either. I'll wait for you. But you can tell that's not what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. And then he turns to his friends really loudly with Danny next to him and says, hey, guys, Danny doesn't want to take the shrooms right now, so I'm going to wait. And then his friends all say, oh, no, you can't wait because then we're all going to have different trips. We're going to be up and down at different times. And so then she acquiesces. But it, it is this from the beginning, and we've sort of seen Christian do this before, it's a very calculated thing on his part yeah. to make her, manipulate her to do what he wants and make her think that it was her idea. Right, like he, pu- um, she pulls him aside to say she's not comfortable, and then right. he like scre- like broadcasts it to the whole group. To everyone, yeah. And it's like even earlier when, when she finds out that they've been planning, they've been planning a trip to Sweden, and they're literally for months. For months. And he's like, go they're going in like two weeks. And he's like, Oh, I haven't even decided if I was gonna go. And yeah. then when she gets upset, he's like, If you're just gonna yell at me, I'm gonna leave. And then she uh-huh. said then she basically ends up again like acquiescing to him and being like And she starts apologizing to him. Yeah, she's like, No, I'm sorry. Like I overreacted and like I shouldn't have gotten so mad and yeah, so like so for me, because I have also um, had experiences with mushrooms, like that also to me is one of the scariest parts of the movie is number one, that I think that they represent and communicate um, a lot of aspects of what tripping on mushrooms feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, like in particular, the way that everything like breathes with her mm-hmm. a lot is is a lot like that. Um but because of that, when things go south within the trips that people experience, that makes it even so much scarier to me because I'm just like, that is so scary. And I'm, right. I'm pretty blessed that I've never really had like a bad experience on mushrooms or had like a bad trip or anything. Um, so when I see that, I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I want to pause us for a second because we alluded to some of this stuff, but I really do want to talk a little bit about the stuff that happens before their trip, before we really get in, before their literal trip to Sweden and their mushroom trip, before we kind of get into the shenanigans. Um, So I think that um, in several interviews, Ari Aster has said this is a breakup movie. He was going through a breakup at the time. Yeah. Um, It's really interesting, I think, to see a breakup movie where he's going through a breakup and yet he chooses to write a character that he um, empathizes with and that's sort of his um, foil who is a female character. And I think that like as we go through this movie, um, so much of it, it continued to shock me watching this a second time, sort of how good a job I think he does capturing some of those experiences of what it feels like to be a woman, especially a younger woman who is Mm -hmm. trying to navigate a romantic relationship and is being bombarded with all of these societal expectations of being very like quiet and not being assertive about what you need and just being kind of submissive and, and um, yeah. And like always pretending you're okay. Even after you've experienced something horrific. 
Right. And I think that the movie does a really good job of setting that stuff up early. So the movie, um, one of the very first things we see in the movie is her calling Christian because she's gotten this email from her sister that I think says something to the effect of, I can't do it anymore. Mom and dad are coming with me. And she has tried to call her parents and she can't get a hold of them. And so she calls Christian, who's with his friends. And the way that this is being shot or the way it's edited is that we're interspersing scenes of Christian at a bar with his friends, sort of like bitching about her and how like he shouldn't have to put up with somebody who like doesn't want to have sex and like all this other stuff. And then she calls him and she's really worried Um And his response is basically like your sister has a mental illness and you let her make you this stressed out and you need to like create boundaries. And and from a mental health perspective, in part, that is true. If you have someone in your life, I mean, bipolar, I don't know that they uh, portray it entirely accurately here, but the idea with someone with bipolar is that like their, their relationships can be very volatile and they can sort of swing emotionally really severely to try, not intentionally maybe, but in a way that manipulates people that they want, that they care about, that they want attention from. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, I think that what he's saying is not necessarily the wrong thing to say. It's not, not necessarily a wrong fact. Like, I think it seems like probably there is a dynamic with Danny and her sister where her sister can tend to say things like this and and sort of cause Danny to freak out. But it's the fact that the way he's saying it is sort of like he's in a room with his friends. He doesn't really seem to have a lot of care for how she's feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not saying it in a way that is empathetic and kind to her. He's sort of just like placing all the blame on her and, and I mean, he gets her 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 off the the phone, I think. Right. Yeah. He's trying to just get the phone call to end. That's exactly what's happening. Um, And so we get that sequence to sort of set up how things are going. And then she calls her friend, which I think, like, I don't think I even remembered this scene from the first watch, but was maybe one of the most striking scenes as far as characterizing Danny as a person and their relationship, because Mm -hmm. she calls her friend basically being, basically being concerned that she has put too much onto Christian and she has been too open with him about her feelings and he's going to leave and that's too much for him and she shouldn't do that. Um... And I think it really speaks to the emotional labor that women are socialized to do in relationships to sort of make sure that our partners are okay, even if that means that, like, we are going to keep, we're going to sort of, like, push down our stresses and concerns and fears and sadnesses because we don't want to put it on someone else. Um, And her friend says, I think really aptly, um, you know, if he can't, like, if he doesn't love you, Despite this, if he do, if he can't, if he either isn't able or isn't willing to be your partner and support you when you're having a hard time like this, then you don't want him in your life, which is mm-hmm. the exact right thing for a friend to say. But she can't hear it because that's not what she's been taught about um, being in a relationship. And so I think from the beginning, you talked about the scene with with the flight where he's saying, I hadn't even decided if I was going to go. And she says, you already have a ticket. The trip is in two weeks. Yeah. Um, and he's able to manipulate her to a point where now she's apologizing to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens over and over again. And I think this movie does such a good job of really setting up their relationship in a way um, 
like I said at the beginning, where I think if you have ever experienced anything like what Danny is experiencing, which I think a lot of people have, you empathize with her. But I also think that Christian is portrayed in such a way that some people came out of this movie feeling bad for him or feeling like he wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's a really delicate balance to strike and I think one that makes the movie a lot more compelling. Yeah, I think it also um, – some of that credit has to go to the to Jack uh, – I'm not sure how you pronounce it, if it's Rainer. Um, but the actor who mm-hmm. plays him, I think – right. Um, some of that credit has to go to him because I do think he 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 makes him seem um, like very I guess like vulnerable in a way that does make it so you can feel for him a little more and not have him just be like a caricature of like a bad boyfriend. Right. Um, also, I don't know if you were reading because I know we both like to read the. The IMDb trivia for movies and stuff, but I don't know if you read that um, that that actor. The scene there's a scene later in the film where he's like having sex with Maya, and he sort of like comes to and freaks out and starts running around. Um, mm-hmm. And in the script, uh, Ari Aster had it written that he was gonna like grab this like robe on the way out mm-hmm. of the room and then the whole scene when he's running around that he would be running around with his robe on um, oh, wow. but that actor was like basically he said like as a horror movie fan himself like he has seen so many movies where the woman is running naked um, mm-hmm. and like running naked to her demise and he said like personally I'd prefer to do the scene naked because I think it's high time that like we see a man that way um, yeah so, reading that, too, as everyone, as people who listen to the podcast know, um, or I guess maybe not, did we talk it about it? It wasn't on, on our podcast, it was on Andrew's podcast. Ah, yes. So, you can share this here, too. So, I have this thing where I like to see penises in movies and TV, and now- I think that's, I think that goes for both of us. Stay with me here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I appreciate it, yeah, and you do as well, because I just think, like, that, like, women's bodies are so- so prevalent in media that every time I see a man's body and specifically like a penis because we just really Mm -hmm. don't see like a penis flaccid penis like head on in media as nearly as much as we see like tits or vaginas um every time I'm just like like it's a small triumph for (laughs) right right feminism I guess um so I, Equal opportunity nudity is important. Yes, I totally agree. So, I, I mean, I loved – that's another reason that I love the, the movie um, because I, I often love any movie that includes a, a – a, I guess I don't want to say every movie that includes a penis, but when it's well done. Um, but also because it was that actor's idea and personal decision, I liked mm-hmm. it even, even more because I think – um, he was, like, right on with with that yeah. decision. No, I think that's great. I actually didn't read any of the IMDb trivia for this particular movie, so Ooh. I'm glad that you... Yeah. Sounds I'm like glad I you brought did that my to our homework attention. this week. You did. Um, no, I think that's awesome and um, and really interesting. Uh, so I want to I wanna jump... This is such a weird jump, but I want to talk a little bit more about mental health stuff in this movie because... Um, uh, I think, again, when I saw this movie for the first time, 
um, it was sort of like a wave that rushed over me. And there was so much that I didn't notice because the whole movie is really emotionally intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the music what, is a huge part of that too. Definitely. The scores um, throughout are like really good at really mm-hmm. getting yeah. to And the sound core. design in general. I mean, the, this movie, like the movie we talked about last week, Innocence, uses silence in a way that is really effective. Yes. Um, which I think is really cool. Um, but I think this movie does a really good job of, you know, we talked about a little bit, the sort of setup where we go into this into the story and we travel with Danny sort of knowing the vulnerable state that she's in, right? And then you talked a little bit about um, when they're tripping and they do this really interesting thing or Ari Aster does this really interesting thing to sort of keep us disoriented where as soon as they get to... Um, the outskirts of Haiga, they take shrooms. And because of where they are, um, it only gets a little bit dark and only for a couple hours. And so there are weird time cuts where we jump ahead several hours, but it's not marked in a lot of ways. Yeah. And the we don't have a traditional, you know, sun up, ho- like hot sun, sun down, nighttime. And so it all feels kind of like it could either be a fever dream or they could have been there forever and it's really hard to keep track, so it keeps us very disoriented. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk about early on when Danny takes the shrooms, um, which we've established she didn't want to do. She did not feel ready to do that, and she sort of gets bullied into it by Christian and his friends. Um whether they are meaning to or not, I think is not really important, but she sort of gets pressured into doing that when she's not ready. And then she has a panic attack. Um, and I have not ever done shrooms or any other hallucinogens. Um, but I, I am someone who suffers from a generalized anxiety disorder and I do have panic attacks. Um, and I didn't have the same experience watching it the first time. I think because like I said, this movie sort of sweeps you up in such a way that it's hard for anything in particular to jump out. You're just kind of along for the ride in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. But the, her panic attack doesn't last that long within the runtime. But the portrayal of a panic attack when she had it was so poignant. And I know that some of that is because she was already tripping, right? Yeah. So, like, her surroundings are heightened. Um, but I found that really, really emotionally resonant. So when she starts having a panic attack, she her breathing gets really fast and she's sort of looking around as though she needs to find an exit or, you know, she looks around like she's going to see something that's going to fix it, which I definitely can empathize with. But she says to herself, don't think that you're fine. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked previously about how I think our innate sense when we have a panic attack, if you know that's what it is, is to say to yourself, this isn't real, right? Yeah. Like, you talked previously about a therapist telling you that. And I think I have since learned that it's so much, for me, so much healthier to say I'm out loud, I'm having a panic attack, and acknowledge it, and then sort of, like, let it, let it happen and try to calm myself back down. Um, but sort of, like, the way that she, that they portray a panic attack, I thought was one of the best portrayals I've ever seen. She immediately thinks that everyone is looking at her and laughing at her. Um, And I have definitely, you know, I have found that one of the things that has really helped me handle my panic attack is sort of getting a a better handle on how to describe it to other people. Because once I can sort of describe what it feels like, it doesn't feel so scary when it happens. Yeah. Um, And this movie does a great job of sort of showing, I think, 
um, in a really poignant way what that can feel like, um, whether you're on shrooms or not. Yeah, well, also, um, like, something that is also kind of funny about that panic attack that she has is that the first time that I did mushrooms, I did it with, uh, like, my best friend who's who had done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was sort of, like, leading me through it. And one of the things she said to me, like, before, after we had taken them, but before we were really feeling it, she was like, we have to go to the bathroom right now because you never want to be in a bathroom once you're tripping. She's like, you'll never leave. Um, And it was kind of funny because when we went to pee, um, I started to feel the mushrooms while I was peeing. And all of a sudden I felt like I was gigantic. Like I was like a a giant trying – like, you know an elf when he's trying to like take the shower in the elf size shower? I felt like that and like the toilet was really (laughs) small and that I was too big. And then I was like, I, I couldn't get out of the stall because I thought I was, like, way too big for This it. is the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and so my friend had to, like, be, like, she had to, like, uh, like put her hands on the other side of the door and, like, talk me through how to open the door to get out. Um, but then she was like, we have to get out of the bathroom. So I, another aspect of, like, that panic attack that she has while she's tripping is she goes into the bathroom and she looks in the mirror and she mm-hmm. like sees her sister behind her for a second. And yeah. to me, that also was like a whole other level of it where I'm like, oh, like, no, don't go in the bathroom. Like, you never go in the bathroom. <laughs> it's like the. Yeah, and she, of all bathrooms, she's going into a, um outhouse, which is just like dark and probably smells terrible and yeah. it's not where you want to be, I assume, when you're tripping. Yeah. Um, there's another really great line. It's just a, it's a brief line. I'm going to sort of track us forward in the plot. But if, if anything, if we need to ever backtrack, let me know. Because mm-hmm. I know there's a lot for us to cover. Um, so in the beginning, you know, they get to this place. And um, their friend Pele, another friend of his from the commune, has brought two friends that are outsiders with him. They're a couple. Um, oh, I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> uh, and so... There is a scene where um, they go to a ritual, which. Um, oh, this I'm is so not upset. what I thought you were going to say. I, I was going to say, gonna, I thought I was going to surprise you. I thought you were going to say about how they're asking how they all know each other. And he says that he and the girl used to date. Oh, yeah. And she goes, <laughs> we went on a date. She's like, we went out on a a date <laughs> and he's like yeah. oh yeah what I mean was you know we were friends and then she met this other guy and now they're dating yeah <laughs> which is interesting because as the movie progresses I mean from here on out we're going to be spoiling a lot so if you haven't seen Midsummer and you want to see it without spoilers you should if you're still listening you should really go ahead and watch it um <laughs> But it's in that that sequence and dialogue is only maybe two seconds of the film. But it's interesting in retrospect because I wondered watching it this time if he like targeted them on purpose because he was angry. Oh, absolutely. That he, yeah. yeah, I think but, so. No, what I was what I was going to talk about is they go to this sequence, um, which um, Christian, and then I can't believe we haven't even like name dropped this yet. But William Jackson Harper from um, The Good Place who I think we both love a lot, Gee. right? Like, yeah, who we both adore yeah. is in this Although movie. It's so and weird he plays to see him without glasses. <laughs> yeah, and also he plays like the anti-cheaty in this. He yeah. is very decisive and also a dick and pretty unethical. Um 
But so he knows what this ritual is and Christian either does or is pretending to. I'm going to go with pretending to. Yeah. Um, but they go to this ritual in which the these two elderly members of the commune uh, who actually aren't that old. They're, I think, 72. Mm-hmm. Um, they climb to the top of a, a bluff, a huge cliff, and they both jump off sort of one at a time and jump directly onto a big rock and they die. Um, well, the woman dies. The man does not die. And... Um, as one might imagine, this is incredibly traumatizing mm-hmm. for Danny and for um, some of the people that she's with. Now, the, their friend Mark um, is not there. He does not witness it. William Jackson Harper, and who plays a character named Josh. Josh and Christian sort of are clearly upset by it, but they're approaching it from an anthropological sort of perspective, and so they're trying not to be incredibly troubled by it. Danny is very upset and screaming. The other two people um, that came with Pele's friend are upset and screaming. Um, And when they are coming back to the village, Danny says, I just need to not be here right now. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure probably to some people feels like such a throwaway line, but um, that is absolutely a feeling that I have had as a person who has struggled with mental health stuff or just as a problem or a person who experiences anxiety and panic. And, like, what a beautiful... It just feels very true. A lot of things in this movie feel very true and and are written in a way that rings really true. And that line really, really jumped out to me for the same reason. Yeah. Um, So the plot line continues to move forward. Um, Mark goes off with a, a young Haiga woman, and we don't see him for some time. And then... Josh and Christian are both going to do their um, work on their theses in Haiga. So Christian was not originally planning on this. We knew in the beginning that he didn't know what he wanted to do his thesis about. Um, And he basically comes to Josh, who is already working on his thesis about this place and taking notes and things. And Christian shows up and says, I'm going to do my thesis here, too. We can work together if you want. and in again, sort of, ga- we see him gaslighting another character in the same way he's done to to Danny, where he, you know, Josh is saying, you know, this is this is an area that I study. You knew I would want to do my thesis here. Why can't you pick something else? Um, and it's a very difficult and uncomfortable scene. But Josh sneaks into the temple essentially, and while he is there, um, is bludgeoned. And so, of our characters, and the two characters man, that came with- another penis. <laughs> Yes. Um, the two characters that came with Haiga or um, Pele's friend both um, quote unquote leave to go to the train station. And so now our only outsiders in the group are Danny and, and um, Christian. Before we go too much further, because I do want to discuss the um, the climax and sort of the 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 way that the story resolves for Danny, I do really quickly want to acknowledge um, that there, Ari Aster got a not an insignificant amount of criticism um, for the character of Ruben. So Ruben is... Yeah, we both agree a, on this part also. Yeah. So Ruben is a, a young a young boy um, whose face is fairly deformed. He is played by an able-bodied actor. Um, and people, I think, were rightly upset that um, the, the storyline behind Ruben is that he is the product of incest who is basically created intentionally to be deformed because his deformity means that he's a prophet in some way. So he's the one who sort of writes, um, continues their sacred text, and then the elders interpret it. 
Um, and so I think people rightly have felt like that is a pretty um, insensitive at best thing to do. Yeah. Um, and Ari Aster got in trouble for this with Hereditary because the young girl that he um, cast to play is probably the name of the girl in Hereditary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also sort of had a very um, distinct face and this is not what ends up happening in Hereditary, but the trailer sets it up as though she's going to be the force of evil um, that they're sort of trying to deal with. And so um, Ari Aster has, like I said, has, I think, garnered criticism deservedly for both of those things as sort of perpetuating this trope that people who are disabled are in some way dangerous or um, demonic. And, and that's, that's really problematic and not great. And the Ruben storyline of this film, to me, you could just edit all those scenes out and it wouldn't affect the film at all. Um, And I kind of wish that they would. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I can link to, there's a really great story in the guardian called Midsummer's Ableism Resurrects the Dark History of Eugenics-Inspired Horror. Um, With this episode, I'm going to try to get in the habit of linking to cool articles we talk about, so that will be one of the articles we link to. I'm also going to link to two articles that just have to do with the symbolism and some of the stuff that's hidden in Midsummer, because obviously we're more focused on the... the, the substance of the plot, but there is a lot of sort of really beautiful symbolism and things that are kind of hidden and interwoven. So if you want and to deep dive into those. we would just need so much more time to get like yeah. really into all that because We would have to so do like a month of covering this movie to get into that yeah. stuff. Because um, it's so but meticulously I will plug crafted those pieces. in so yeah. many ways. Yeah. Um, so unless there's anything that you want to touch on in the interim, I think we should get into the way the movie ends and sort of like what happens once Danny and Krishna are the only ones left. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think real quick if there's anything else in particular. But I think, yeah, I think we're good to. You think we're ready? In. Yeah. So once they're the only ones left, um, there is this young Haiga woman um, named Maya, who I believe is uh, 16 or 17. Um, and she clearly has, is attracted to Christian and has sort of been, like, giving him the eyes the whole movie. Um, she sneaks a pube into his meat pie. As um, you do. And as you do. She hides a rune or a charm under his pillow to cast a love spell. And um, for those of you who watched the movie and didn't get this, she also puts her menstrual blood in his lemonade um, to sort of try to to uh, wile him with her charms. Um, so at this point, um, Danny, I think the more that the people who have come with her on this trip are proving to be less and less supportive and empathetic towards her, the more she really starts to engage with the folks that live in this town. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she goes with them. She helps to cook. They dress her in traditional garb and they're going to partake in this contest to decide the May Queen. And what happens is... All the women in the town um, take this, drink this hallucinogenic tea, and then they have to dance and dance and dance and dance and dance, and the last person standing wins. Um, while this is happening, you know, Christian um, meets with an elder who tells him that he has been approved to mate with Maya, and he's sort of like, no, thank you, not interested, not a good idea. He leaves. So he, at this point, and this is interesting because <laughs> Does earlier. Does he really say that? 
He says, no. I think I ate one of her pubes. <laughs> he does say that. He does say that. And she's ba- and she's basically like, yeah, yep. that probably happened. She's like, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> But so he leaves, and this is interesting because here we get. But I think it's sort of, get- see, I sort of felt like we don't see the end of that conversation, but I feel like he leaves that conversation being like, not, not down, you know? Okay, sure, yeah, yeah. I think, like, there is definitely not a case... I think you're right. I mischaracterized. There is. It's not the case that he is sort of shocked and appalled by this and leaves. Yeah, and I think he he's just also sort of the is kind like, of... His huh. character is also the kind of person who's, gonna, who's, like, who's like, huh, interesting information and isn't saying for sure either way. And right. it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm gonna... I might right. make up my mind once I get there. Right. And I think the other thing is, at this point, it's been set up to us that he wants to write his thesis on this um, community. And so one might argue that mm-hmm. you also, like, kind of need to just be like, we're just going to go with it. Like, not to the point that you're going to sleep with somebody, but, like, you're not going to pitch a fit because, yeah, you know, you want to be able to still do your thesis, whatever. So I think this is interesting because the the story of them in Hygus, right, starts with their acid trip or their shroom trip where they have to do it at the same time. Now here, Danny has already take, drank the tea. So she is tripping and dancing and Christian is sober. And she's also and dancing then, with like a bunch of other women. Mm-hmm, and she's been mm-hmm. spending a lot more time with like almost entirely women by this With point. other women, right, right. Um, and so then they go to the, she is, she wins May Queen. They are at dinner. At dinner, Christian gets dosed with shrooms. So now she presumably is starting to come down while he is going up um, on their respective uh, hallucinogenic trips. And so at this point, she has to go ride around in a carriage to bless all the crops. And again, she's with all the women, all the women who participated in the dance contest are running alongside the carriage. She's riding alone. Um, She's participating in all these rituals. She's praying and singing. And these other women, there's one in particular who sort of is like her, um, her, I mean, sidekick doesn't sound the right word. I can't think of the right thing. It's like her companion, her companion who is very supportive and kind and gentle and is, and And they really like encouraging her while they're tripping, but they can understand each other. Yes. Um, so they are going around while all of that's happening. Um, Christian is taken to a building where they blow uh, dust into his face and then they let him into a room where there's a line of uh, older, not older, but like adult women in the cult all standing naked with their arms around each other and Maya is laying on a a bed of flowers and she's nude. Um, And so he walks in and he starts sleeping with her. There's this really interesting... Sounds like my Saturday night. Hell... (laughs) There's this really interesting and frankly unsettling sequence where, um, you know, Maya's losing her virginity, which uh, we as women know can be uncomfortable and and or painful. And so she sort of reaches her hand out mm-hmm. to the woman behind her and a woman who um, a woman bends down and is holding her hand and all the women are sort of like mimicking her her sounds of pain and pleasure in this sort of like chorus um, while Christian is sort of like tripping and having sex with her and looking confused. Um, Danny gets back and presumably at this point is probably no longer tripping or is mostly done. Yeah. She, she sees Christian with Maya and she runs out very upset. 
she runs back to the house or the building dormitory kind of building where they've all been staying and all these women surround her and earlier in the movie when her parents die and her sister commits suicide there's this sequence where um christian comes over and he's holding her on the couch and she's screaming and he's just kind of holding her in a way that is relatively unresponsive and now she is on the floor screaming and all these women are also on the floor with her mm-hmm. like holding echoing her. her pain echoing her 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 cries and holding her and rubbing her back and looking her in the eye with pain in their eyes and screaming with her um and it's this really like unsettling to watch the first time but really beautiful to see the second time sequence where because I think for me the first time that came off like they were in on it and they were mocking her Mm. um and the second time it's like no they also are hurting with her I mean and we see it throughout but I just find that like guttural group screaming so scary yes (laughs) definitely definitely um and so Even we get to our like her, it's still so scary. <laughs> yeah, we get to this like final sequence where they're going to sacrifice people to the gods. Um, and so obviously we have at this point learned that Mark and Josh and the other two visitors are dead. The two um, elder members of the cult who jumped are dead. Two members of the cult who are still living have sort of volunteered to be two more sacrifices. And then um Danny is given the choice between a preordained Haiga member or Christian as the ninth person. Um, And at this point, Christian has been drugged such that he can't move or speak and is in a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, And she picks Christian. And so all of the sacrifices are taken to this bright yellow building in the middle of a field and placed on benches and hay bales. And the entire, and Christian is sewn into a bear skin. Mm Mm-hmm. And the whole Classic. thing is lit on fire. <laughs> and the whole thing is lit on fire. Um, and I noticed so much more again, this second viewing, there's this beautiful visual towards the end of the movie where Danny at this point is dressed in a gown. It's not even a gown. It's like a giant gown cape and crown that are yeah. entirely made of it's fresh like flowers. <laughs> yeah. She looks like a giant, yeah. She looks like a huge flower bush. Yeah. <laughs> um, And she walks away from the group. The group all starts screaming and crying as the fire engulfs the building in the way that they have done throughout the movie to sort of Because there's two two cult members inside who are still alive and they're screaming in pain. Right. Right. And so they're doing the same thing where they're sort of um, not mimicking but also carrying that pain and grief and and fear and yelling and crying – And Danny sort of blank-faced walks away, and there's this shot where she is standing entirely covered in flowers except her face in front of this burning building. And it felt like such a beautiful symbol of sort of um, that old relationship was – I mean, this is a very, very, very boiled down. But, like, that old relationship was so toxic, Mm -hmm. and it needed to end, and she needed to purge herself of all of that. And she has done that. And it was this beautiful symbol of like new growth and new life cycles sort of in front of the death of that relationship in mm-hmm. the fire. And perhaps um, like something about that too would, would be that she's she's maybe going to go forward relying more um, on relationships with these women in the cult. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and just, like, with women in general, like, I feel like there is something to the fact that she is, like, a giant bush. Like, she's, like, a <laughs> symbol of right. just a gigantic vagina coming to rule the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, the final shot of the movie is a close shot of Danny's face and she smiles, um, which feels very reminiscent of the ending of The Witch. I mean, all of this ending uh, thematically and narratively feels very similar to the end of The Witch, where um, Thomason sort of loses everyone she cares about, whether by choice or not, and, and is sort of allowed to be reborn out of the... Um, restrictive constraints of those previous relationships into a different life for mm-hmm. herself. Um, and I really liked that. Yeah. I mean, and it, but, and, but it's also like scary too. Like, I mean, yeah, it's terrifying. All these people are screaming and she's watched like all these people who are like her friends die or at least. And she just condemned her boyfriend to burn alive. Yeah. Like while, yeah. While being paralyzed. Right. Um, and yet, and I think it's also partially because the music, too. The music is sort of like, the music in that particular scene, too. Like, when I was rewatching it, I was like, wow, is it fucked up that I kind of like this song? Like, it's really, it's like there's, it's sort of uplifting and terrifying mm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I think that that's also sort of like the ending of the movie and her transformation is like that, too. Where it's like right. there's some part of it where you're like celebrating that she's kind of free and that she's mm-hmm. kind of gotten some power back. Definitely. But then at the same time, you're like, oh, my God, this is so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of people describe this movie as cathartic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw and I really for me personally, that description really resonates. Um, I mean, I don't advocate lighting your ex-partner on fire (laughs) or, like, joining a a scary cult. Um, But I think that there has been a lot of pushback on the idea of this movie being cathartic because people are scared about the sort of literal way this movie ends. And for me, that really sells short the emotional weight of this movie. I think if you watch this movie and at the end of it you aren't feeling a little bit victorious for Danny... Um, then I would be shocked. I mean, I think the way the story is told, even though this still doesn't feel necessarily the right place for her to be, maybe, um, it in some ways feels better than where she was before. Um, Which is this, again, is the same with the witch. In the witch, Thomason sells her soul to the devil to become a witch, which on its face, we maybe don't want her to do, but she is now this young woman who is liberated from the sort of patriarchal and puritanical society that she lived in. And so um, for me, the ending of both of these movies are very emotionally cathartic thematically, even if of course, literally I don't want anyone to, Yeah, this podcast is not endorsing you lighting anyone on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Anyway, (laughs) not yet. (laughs) Um, Hannah, do you have anything else, any other lasting thoughts about this movie that you really need to get out? Uh, truly, I think the way that you just sort of uh, summed that out, summed that up was really strong. And now I'm like trying to think of what other little bits and bops I wanted to mention. And I'm like, well, that was pretty solid. And I feel like it's probably a good idea to cap <laughs> it at that. 
Um, well, I did want to plug one last thing. Um, in our show notes, I'm going to also link to an article from Bloody Good Horror, which, full disclosure, is a site that I write for. Um, but one of our writers, Natalie, who is a rock star, um, she has a background in psychology and in therapy. Um, she's a licensed clinical psychologist, and she has started writing a um, column on Bloody Good Horror called Primal Scream, where she takes a horror film and sort of talks about um, mental health and psychology and themes within that movie. And she wrote a, um, a, a column about Midsummer for that, um, for her column. And uh, it's especially, you know it's good because one of um, Natalie's subspecialties is working with people who used to be in cults. Wow. So she writes this really interesting article sort of analyzing the psychological aspects of Danny's journey. And so I will also link to that in our show notes. So there will be a treasure trove of good stuff there um, if you want to read more about Midsummer, And then hit us up on Twitter because we want to hear what you guys thought about the movie um, and keep the conversation going. And um, also after this, after we finish recording, Sophie, I'm going to send you a picture of my current companion while we're recording. And I think we should please put that do up as well. I've got an okay. unexpected visitor. Beautiful. Okay, great. Um, so, are we ready for our in ladyer news? Um, yes, I think I believe we are. Okay. Well, um, I'm really excited about this week's in ladyer news because it allows me to kind of nerd out about a thing. Now, I should say that. I know about most of this because of my wonderful partner, Jeremy, who is the my the biggest nerd I know. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Hannah, I don't know. Are you familiar with the ERA? With Jeremy? No, I'm not. I've never met him. No. I don't know who that is. E- Do you know what the ERA is? Uh, no. Okay. So the Equal Rights Amendment, the ERA, Um, is it boils down to the idea that equality of rights under the law should not be denied or abridged by the U.S. or any individual state on the account of sex. Hmm. Um, Now, if you are a woman living in the United States, you may assume that this already exists everywhere and so we're fine. You would be wrong. Um, There has been a lot of uh, fighting about the ERA for literally decades. Um, But... um, Virginia, the state of Virginia, is poised to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment in their state, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, So if you want to learn more about the ERA, I'm actually in the middle of listening to a really cool podcast about the ERA that I want to plug here because I'm really enjoying it, um, called Ordinary Equality. Um, And the podcast is hosted by a woman who grew up um, Mormon and opposed to the ERA and sort of has had a change of heart. so if you don't know about the ERA, you should read about it, um, especially if you are a woman living in the United States, because I think a lot of us sort of take for granted that our our rights are fundamentally protected and all that stuff has been taken care of. Um, and in a lot of cases, that's not true. I mean, obviously, the Constitution was written um, by and by for, men, for men. white men. <laughs> well, and particularly white men. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's still a lot of ways in which uh, gender and sex can be used to um, to persecute women. And so the ERA is really important, um, and you should find out if your state has ratified it yet. And if they haven't, then you should look into seeing what kind of um, organizations that you can support to do that. 
Um, that's really cool. Um, I would I would also say in a similar vein, um, I've been listening to this new uh, LA Times podcast called Chasing Cosby, um, mm-hmm. which is um, in case it wasn't like evident by the name, it's it's all about um, a female reporter from Philadelphia who started reporting on uh, Bill Cosby's sexual assault uh, history, like early days um, Mm -hmm. and her experience sort of seeing that play out twice and how how different it was the first time um, when it was like one woman um, trying to take him up on charges and kind of and that was early 2000s and how she was treated Mm -hmm. and how the whole situation was treated Um, and then versus when it came back into play many years later but um, in particular, I just listened to uh, the most recent episode, which I think is like the fifth episode or something. But um, they sort of pivoted into um, an aspect of that story being that a lot of the survivors of Bill Cosby um, later in life ended up becoming advocates for changing the statute of limitations on sex crimes in various states yeah. Um, so a lot of the fifth episode is about these these women who uh, actually affected some real change in a couple different states, which I didn't even know about either. And so um, listening to that, it's a really tough podcast in general just because of the subject matter. And right. um, a lot of it is understandably, you know, like really disappointing Um hearing about the way that a lot of the women were treated. Um, but that episode was actually really inspiring. And um, so I thought that was, uh, I mean, it was really like empowering actually to listen to. That's awesome. I'm really glad you said that because I actually listened to the first episode of Chasing Cosby and then sort of felt like I didn't know if I could uh, – to be totally honest, it's like I don't know if I can keep listening to this. It's really, it's just really hard. Like you said, it's hard. It's really hard yeah, to listen to and I have when to they're say, talking, when victims are talking about what they went through. But I think it's important, right, to, right. to hear that. And so like, I, I think will, I'm going to go back and listen to it again. I would recommend it because I honestly, I think I, I felt very similarly. Like even when all that was uh, really going down, like in the press and everything, like I, mm-hmm. I didn't read that much about it because I was basically like, okay, I. I can under I can glean from what's going on that he has sexually assaulted a lot of people, and I'm like I don't really need to know much more else about it. That seems like a lot to me, um, but I have to say that, like this podcast does a really good job um, of the way that they um, give each w- woman who wants to speak a platform to speak, mm-hmm. and shows yeah. like how much the the group of people that were affected by this one individual spans so many different um, like categories and lifestyles and all these things. Um, I actually felt like even though it is really hard uh, to listen to it a lot of the time, um, I think it's really impressive the way that they've uh, given that platform to these women. That's amazing. That's really awesome. I'll definitely check it back out. Yeah, I would. I would recommend it. Although, definitely, like, balance it out with something funny or, like, watch some Bob's Burgers afterwards. 
Or right, some Shark right, Tank. Right. I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, Hannah, why don't you tell us about what we're going to be talking about next week? So um, we decided that after I would not stop uh, going on and on about it, that we're going to do the Night of the Hunter for next week. So everybody get ready because I'm going to geek the fuck out. <laughs> and Sophie, I think you're um, gonna fucking love it for real. Like, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Yeah. We should say, just so everyone knows, we have a couple um, theatrical release movies that we're hoping to cover. We're, we are gonna cover Birds of Prey, and our amazing, beautiful, delightful friend Cece's gonna come back to do that with us. We're also gonna cover The Lodge, um, but Hannah and I are gonna be in New Orleans this weekend for the Rock and Roll New Orleans race. Um, and so we weren't sure we'd have time to squeeze in a theatrical release in the meantime. So, um, what that means is that we won't be doing a theatrical release for the next episode, but Hannah and I will probably have brunch together in person this weekend. So you'll have lots of good stories for your next episode. <laughs> I might even drink alcohol. I mean, it's New Orleans, so I feel like you have to, but I mean, live your life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm realizing in this moment that I once again am supposed to have figured out what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> and I still haven't gotten there, but I have faith that one of these days something's going to come to me and it's just going to be perfect. So I'm not, I'm going to choose yeah. not to stress and not to rush it. And perfect. Don't force it. Instead, I'm just going to say simply this time, I'm just going to say, Hey Sophie, I'll see you this weekend. Sounds beautiful. Clink. Clink. <laughs> We're going to figure it out. We'll get it. We'll get it. I don't know. Maybe the day that we actually do get that right, something really bad's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, listeners will start, start writing in, like, what happened to the, like, out of sync clinks? They were our favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> People will be like, you guys um, sold out. You're clinking in unison. <laughs> 